We've been in this series uh, all about new things, new life, new wine. And today, um, we're going to be talking about new covenant. I think it's something that maybe we, we don't have a great understanding of, or we, it's, you, we, could, we could spend weeks uh, just on this topic, the way that God relates to us. But before we get any further, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for another opportunity, another chance uh, to be here, to be in this place. Uh, if it's uh, here in this room in Lesueur at this very moment, if it's worshiping online, if, it, if, if you're listening online right now and you need a word of hope and truth, God, we thank you that you communicate that way as well. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. That it would be your words to speak to our hearts and our minds and animate our hands and feet to do your good work, to be your ambassadors in this world. Lord, teach us now. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I said, you know, we're going to be talking about this word, covenant. I don't know uh, what come, the first thing that comes to mind for you when you hear the word uh, covenant. Um, uh, if you know me at all, you probably aren't surprised that the first thing that popped in my mind uh, is a picture of this guy. <laughs> and you're like, what? Indiana, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, you know, maybe for you, it's, um, maybe you've, you've been involved in covenants in your life, uh, maybe in a business covenant, or maybe you signed uh, for an apartment or a HOA, you signed a covenant there. Um, I think very popularly, one that we still talk about all the time, um, and it's still this kind of set-apart thing in our society is a marriage covenant. You know, this word covenant, <clears throat> it's the way in the Bible uh, that describes and defines relationship and primarily our relationship with God. But you know, and maybe it's just I spent too many years in youth ministry. I think this word covenant is deeper than just the word relationship. Or maybe, maybe we've taken some of the meaning out of the word relationship. You know, if you ask a teenager, uh, you know, if they have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you, if you ask them, hey, are you single? And they'll say, no, <laughs> I'm in a relationship. Um, and maybe, and that's great, that's fine. Uh, and it's good for a minute, and then, you know, the next minute, um, you know, you're getting dumped in the school parking lot, not that I have, you know, would know anything about that. Um, <laughs> moving on. But this word covenant, which is used throughout the Bible, is a much deeper sort of relationship. Covenant is like a contract uh, or an agreement. It's, it's always made with certain promises. The Bible talks about um, kind of generally two kinds of covenants. Uh, the word unilateral and the word bilateral. A bilateral covenant is a, is a covenant between two equal parties. 
Uh, maybe that's where you're getting, you know, uh, again, in, in a business sort of sense. Uh, um, but, but again, even deeper, these two parties would each kind of die to their own identities and the two would become one. This language does sound familiar to you. It's because the only time we really hear it in the real world is in marriage. There's another type of covenant that we see in Scripture as well. And that is the covenant between two unequal parties, or what is called unilateral. Now, we're going to be looking at one of these types of covenants this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. And back in those times, making a covenant with a stronger ally was something that you would have to do from time to time. And here in Genesis 15, we are picking up the story of a man named Abram. And you're like, Abram? Yeah, don't you mean Abraham? Yeah, this is before the name change. This is for Abram, where he has been wandering around looking for the place that God would show him. And you gotta, you know, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. In these days, it was like the Wild West. And the only places that there would be any order or rule of law was in the great city-states. Uh, Abram happens to be from one of them, uh, from the, the city of Ur. But outside of the city walls, it was every man for himself. It was not uncommon to be robbed and beaten. Certainly murders would happen by groups of traveling bandits as you would go along the road. Um, maybe this is uh, drawing an image to you of uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the only way to stay safe was to make a covenant with a local tribal leader or warlord. So this practice, this idea of covenant was already an ingrained part of this culture when we pick up the story with Abram in Genesis 15. There's one other bit of context that you need to know about Abram at this point in Genesis 15 is that, um, that God had made a promise to him that he would have a son. And at, at that point, Abram was an old man and only getting older. And so far to what Abram can see is that God has not delivered on that promise yet. And so this attitude that Abram has toward God, maybe to put it mildly, is he's a little cranky with God in chapter 15 here. So let's start in 15, verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, who, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me, here's, here's the checklist of uh, things that God's going to ask Abram to bring now. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon in a part in a in a what are the in a pear tree, right? Yeah, something. Just kidding on the pear tree part. You see, God is is gonna answer Abram by entering into a covenant with him. Now remember we said there's these two kinds of covenants one that has equal parties, one that has unequal. This is one of those unequal ones. This is a unilateral covenant. And yet, excuse me, on one side, you have God, creator of the universe. And on the other side, you have Abram, who is an old guy. Like, it, the, it's not equal, right? And yet, God is still going to enter into a covenant relationship with Abram. The two are going to become one. You see, Abram was someone before, but now because of covenant, he's about to be given a whole new identity. So what about that list of animals in verse 9? Well, and this is a, it's a visceral image, what we're about to see here, um, but an extremely significant one. You see, what they're going to do is they are going to split these animals from, it says, from nose to, uh, what's the word here? Nose to hoof, which is like the hard way to split an animal, I imagine. I don't know, but that's my guess. And what they're going to do is they're going to line up these halves of these animals um, a couple of feet away from each other. And what they're going to create is what's called a corridor of blood. We have a more sanitized version of that in our society. Um, you can imagine a bride coming down the aisle. In this version, in this, in this uh, ceremony of covenant, what happened is you'd have this uh, all laid out. We have a picture of this, by the way. Um, I can show you here. So you'd have the animals all cut up, the corridor of blood, and to enter into this covenant relationship, <clears throat> The two parties would walk toward each other, meet in the middle, and then continue on. And when you got to the other side, that was the signifier that the covenant had happened. There would be a new identity with a new relationship, and the two had become one. See, in this kind of a covenant, um, uh, the, uh, the, one of the other kind of visceral images that this gives us is that it's, it's the image of a, of a birth canal, of, of new life. In a covenant, there is a new, you are born again. You have a new identity. So let's look at what happens here with Abram. Sorry, in verse 10. And he brought them all, uh, all these animals, cut them in half, and laid each half over against each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. If you're following along in your Bible, we're going to skip down a few verses to verse 17. 
when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, this is really key, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The smoking fire pot and the flame, uh, flaming torch, they pass between the pieces. Uh, I want you to see what this imagery is, is teaching us here. Look at who walks both sides of the covenant because, because it's not Abram who's doing any walking here. It's God who does the walking on both ends of the covenant. You see, Abram is no doubt exhausted from cutting uh, all of these animals in half with a, with a likely a primitive saw, but not only a physical sleep, but a spiritual sleep falls over him. And what we see from this first instance of this kind of covenant in the Bible is that man can't keep his side of the bargain. Like in this, in this unilateral, there's a much stronger party and a much weaker party. Even in that dynamic, <laughs> we, you know, in, in, the, in the person of Abram, we can't even make it like, walking into the relationship. God does the whole thing. We are unable, but he is able. God is the one who does the heavy lifting. And in that, the covenant has been made. God has called a man, a a family, a people to himself in this Abrahamic covenant. Uh, You know, this isn't uh, uh, the only covenant that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, We see another one that happens with Moses. Moses is on Mount Sinai. God makes this covenant with the Israels who would honor God by keeping his commandments. This covenant would serve to set the nation of Israel apart from all other nations as God's chosen people and was as equally binding as the unconditional covenant that God just made with Abram because it was also a blood covenant. But there's a difference in this blood covenant, the one with Moses, because God put some conditions in it for the people of Israel. Uh, There's a whole lengthy uh, chapter in the book of Deuteronomy that spells this out. I encourage you to go read that on your own time. Here's the Cliff Notes version. If Israel is obedient, God will bless them. If Israel is disobedient to the Lord's commands, God will punish them. And and as we see, certainly, you can imagine in in, in the book of Judges is is a wonderful example of this. But throughout the Old Testament, you see this cycle of, of Israel uh, falling away from God and, 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 and then being invaded uh, by enemies and then God coming to the rescue and this whole thing turns over and over and over again. You know, uh, when God made that covenant with Moses on top of Mount Sinai, <clears throat> one of the instructions that God gave to Moses was to build the Ark of the Covenant 
which right gets found by Indiana Jones, and it's incredible. Uh, you should see the movie. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant becomes this tangible symbol of God's covenant with Israel. And the Ark, the Ark was right in the, in the temple. The Ark was housed in a spot called the Tabernacle. And I said this was a blood covenant, and every year what they would have to do on what's called the Day of Atonement is that blood would need to be shed for the payment of the sins of the last year. There would need to be blood sacrifices, and that blood would then be sprinkled on the ark by the high priest. Now we know that we are un- incapable of being in a right relationship with God apart from him. I should say we know. If you don't know, we are incapable of being in a right relationship with God apart from him. And the story of the people of Israel that we see in the Old Testament shows this over and over and over again. So God does something miraculous. God sends his own son to live the life that we could never live. To die the death that was meant for us and to form a new covenant. This time with me and you. Let's turn one more time in our Bibles to Luke 22. If you noticed on your way in this morning, uh, the uh, communion Uh, elements, the wine and the juice and the bread are laid out for us. It's the first Sunday of the month. That's when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at that text and see what it has to say to us about the new covenant. Verse 14, Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is the promise that God will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. Paul writes about this throughout the New Testament, that the new covenant was here to replace the old one, the old covenant, the old covenant that was meant for a specific group of people at a specific time in history is replaced by the new covenant, a new covenant that is meant for all people, for all people who believe in him, who know that their salvation is found in the very work and blood of Jesus Christ. This new covenant is for you and it is for me. Instead of sacrificing bulls and rams, Jesus took it upon himself to be the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf so that we might be in a right relationship with God. This covenant means the forgiveness of your sins. Not only that, but like in the covenants of old, you are given a new name and a new identity. You become 
a child of God. You become, you, you, you are given the name Christian, right? Little Christ. You, his identity is now imprinted on you. With all of the promises that come with being a child of God, all of, in that inheritance. And it would take way more time than we have this morning. But the beauty of it is that it was God's plan all along. See, from the very beginning, God's plan was to rescue you from sin and death and to make you a son and daughter of the king the whole time. In my studies for this message, I came across a quote that says this, God was not surprised by any of this. Jesus was not his plan B. That should give us hope for many reasons today. But as we look around, and as we sang, right, that the world seems like a mess. God's not surprised by any of this. He's not taken aback. He's not on his heels. Sometimes when we think about our own relationship with God, we think, oh, I, I have sinned too much or too great, or I did, that, I did that one thing, there's no way you're not making God blush. He's not surprised. God knew exactly what he was getting into when he entered into a covenant relationship with you and with me. And that's huge for us. It means that our identity, our life, our forgiveness, our future is completely taken care of because of our relationship with God covenant relationship where he's still doing all the work and we are still reaping all the rewards. So I hope this morning that you have picked up on not only the beauty of these covenant relationships we see with God, but I hope you've seen so much more. You see, because if it was up to us, we would fail and inherit the curses much like the Israelites did when they turned away from God in the old covenant. I've been in relationship with many of you for a few years now. I know this, we wouldn't get very far on our own righteousness. But thanks be to God. Because of his immense love for us that he sent his son Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice on our behalf. And not just the sacrifice, but so much more that we may be children of God. We get to celebrate that now. Pastor Jay is going to lead us as we enter into the Lord's Supper and receive the gift of grace that God continually has for us. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see that our God is so good. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it's... um, It is a wild thought that we as dirty, rotten, broken sinners are able to come and speak with the creator of the universe. That we would have time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet that is exactly what you invite us into. 
not as lowly, groveling slaves. You invite us as son and daughter. You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord. I pray that that not only in the message of your word this morning, God, but as we are about to take these elements, Lord, make it so crystal clear, deep-rooted in our souls that you love us so, so much. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.